while your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. Chris will be back tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow, we'll have Sheriff Tom Hodgson in. So you've seen all that. You know, we've talked about the drama um, between the Democratic uh, candidates. And you can check that out in the podcast if you haven't heard it because we covered it pretty extensively. You know, the drama between uh, George McNeil and Nick Bernie are filing a joint candidate statement against uh, Paul Haru, mayor of Attleboro. Uh, who's, you know, they're running in the Democratic primary to face Hodgson. We've talked about that a lot. So if you want to check that out, you can check out our podcast feature. We're actually, um, we, uh, you know, we're actually uploading our South Coast Tonight podcast basically in real time now. So they'll be available sometime during uh, the show, the first hour, if you want to go back and listen. But I really think, you know, you should be with us. You should be present, you know, the entire time with me and you can be at 508-996-0500 we can talk about you know open phone lines for uh, most of the show we can talk about um we can talk about biden's uh student loan forgiveness right we can talk about uh the mbta i heard council Raybrew today on on on, Tim, on tim's show i thought was very good um and uh we can talk about whatever you want but you know i do want to talk a little bit about the local elections uh i think because it's an unusually busy se- uh primary season uh for us i'm looking at the neighborhood news right now they drop off a copy of the neighborhood news uh here every week and i i, en- I do enjoy that because uh i mean i'm here i live in fairhaven you know i'm an elected official in fairhaven so obviously i get it um to not only read the local goings on Right. But also to uh, see my name in the paper. <laughs> but um, but I'm looking at it in every every edition I see, basically, including this one. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the back page. Right. I'm looking at the back page of it. And the entire back page is bought out uh, in the back is bought out by Rick Trapillo. Right. Rick Trapillo. And the entire page behind that is bought uh, bought out by. Um, Bill Strauss, Rep. Rep. Bill Strauss, who's represented uh, this, uh, who's represented this district. Well, the, the town of Fairhaven and, and the and the the tenth Bristol district for uh, since ninety uh, three, and is chairman of the transportation committee. But that is, um, I mean, I've seen it every single week, and I think it's a, um, it's 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 a pretty hot primary, right? Uh, there is. I think that I think there is a I mean, uh, Rick is running ads here. He's identifying himself as a conservative Democrat, uh, which I think is interesting um, to just sort of because you, you see you will see Democrats maybe present themselves as conservative Democrats or or or, or like 
but not so explicitly, right? Just saying I'm a conservative Democrat. Um, very is a very explicit way of 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 I think um, of I think uh, making your political beliefs or uh, your political position known. Because if even if Democrats are more conservative, they usually don't say that. They might say, "Oh, I'm a pragmatist or moderate or something like that." But um, and Bill Strauss, of course, is running on his decades of experience. He's chairman of the Transportation Committee. South Coast Rail is on its way. Uh, we do have some uh, questions about the MBTA uh, that we that that need to obviously need to be addressed. But uh, that's I mean that's a that's a pretty um, that's a that's a pretty again I think it's a hotly contested primary. I'm seeing Trapillo signs. I'm seeing Strauss signs. Obviously, you know, conventional wisdom would tell you that the a longtime incumbent that's well funded is probably uh, is probably the one who is likely to win. But I think Rick's really putting up a fight again. The conservative Democrat thing is interesting. You know, I was reading the New Bedford Light that he uh, was a Republican in the '90s, uh, which and then he said, you know, the important thing is is I've been a Democrat for for 22 years. Um, he did tell me he was a Democrat forever uh, here, but um, you know, I I think Rick's a nice guy, and I think he's He's, you know, he's running a, I think he's running a strong campaign. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously, again, conventional wisdom tells you that the, the conventional wisdom tells you that the guy who is well-funded and is a longtime incumbent uh, is probably the guy who wins the election more times than not. But you never know. And we'll, uh, we'll see on September 6th. Uh, what I do think in, in the, you know, in the, in Dartmouth, you have Chris Markey who's getting challenged by, um, by uh, Cameron Costa, who's um, I think a young up and comer in local politics, uh, very young, but definitely a bright, definitely a bright kid for sure. And he's coming on uh, next week. I'm looking forward to talking to him. I know I know McCarthy is as well. And then we're going to have Chris Chris Markey on a couple of days later after primary day. But what what I think is interesting about those two races is that both candidates, both uh, both incumbent state reps, Maura Healy and Bill Strauss have been endorsed by, I mean, not Maura Healy, Chris Markey and Bill Strauss have been endorsed by Maura Healy. Uh, you know, Maura Healy, of course, has her own campaign to run. She doesn't have a competitive primary. I mean, realistically, even when the even when she had an opponent in the primary, it wasn't a competitive primary. But she she is weighing into these primary races, which I think is really, really interesting because, you know, I think we're all expecting, and I know there's going to be some people that might call and get mad at me about this, but the polling seems pretty clear on this. I think we're expecting more Healy, uh, more likely than not to be our next governor. Uh, and maybe it's not as decisive as I think it's going to be. And, you know, I've heard that Oh well, you know, someone, some one of one of my friends has told me, uh, one of my friends that's involved in in mass GOP politics, which yeah, I do have those, I do have those kind of friends, uh, said to me, oh well, there's stuff on Maura Healy you haven't seen yet because she's had a she's had a cakewalk of a primary, right, and she hasn't she hasn't had a competitive election, uh, yet in the um, in the gen uh, until the general, and so there's going to be stuff that's not going to be good for her. <clears throat> Um, okay, I guess you know we'll 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 analyze that when we see it, but um, but it's it's striking to me that Moore Healy is weighing in on these local state rep primaries, right? Because she, I think, expects a lot of us do expect her to be the next governor. 
So she's going to have to deal with the legislature on Beacon Hill. Now, Charlie Baker, despite being a Republican, and some people say he's a rhino, sure, but uh, I think for Republicans, he's probably a better choice in the executive branch than, than Maura Healy might be for Republicans. Um, you know, Maury, uh, Charlie Baker had to have had to work uh, with the legislature um, and to, you know, to and he was able to, I think, use his veto power to uh, negotiate um, maybe a bit more moderate uh, prescriptions for the sweeping policies Beacon Hill would uh, produce a lot of the times. But um, but Maura Healy wants to what she's saying is basically, I want these people with me making policy, right? She's saying, I want the chairman of transportation, uh, the transportation committee, Bill Strauss. I want him still on Beacon Hill. I want him on that transportation committee. I need him on that transportation committee, right? Because why would she weigh into a local race otherwise? You know, she's going to be the governor. And she's the attorney general of the entire state. She's currently holding statewide office. And she's weighed in on, on, on not just uh, not just these races, but a lot of races. But she's saying, I want Bill Strauss to be I want Bill Strauss to be the transportation chairman still, right? She's like, I want Bill Strauss there. I need Bill Strauss there is what she's saying if she's going to use her political capital and try to use her influence. Because again, when you make endorsements, you're taking a you're taking what you're doing is you're you're putting your name out there and you're putting the weight of your name out there. Right? So if you make an endorsement and that endorsement fails, that makes you look weaker as a the as uh that makes you look like you have less political capital but she's confident enough apparently that she wants uh that she needs bills that she needs bill strauss in transportation and that she needs chris markey in the state house right she needs chris markey in the state house as well she's like i need bill strauss there i need chris markey there i need them to be making policies with uh with me on Beacon Hill, I need them writing laws with me on Beacon Hill. She's weighed into other some other state rep races uh, as well, but I thought that was really striking that she would just she would come down and say, "I need these guys to do to 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 work with me to make policy." So I need you because she's you know she's obviously going to be the Democrat nominee. She's speaking to the Democrats. That's where this endorsement hat. That's what that's where this endorsement really has all of its weight is in the Democratic primary. Um, and so she must have a lot of confidence in, in her, uh, in, uh, rep Markey and rep Strauss's, uh, legislative, um, acumen, um, to, to be weighing in on these, to be weighing on in on these local races. It's, I think she's, you know, she's been, she's endorsed, uh, she also endorsed Andrea Campbell, right? And her donors are, and this is this is reportedly not with, this is reportedly not uh, no coordination with her. Her donors, uh, some of her regular donors, are um, donating to uh, Mayor Driscoll, right? And the Lieutenant Governor's race, who we had on last night, uh, candidate for Lieutenant Governor. Um, but I think she's using her more. Healy's using her opportunity as a. 
as a where she doesn't have a competitive primary, right? With Sonia Chang Diaz, the senator from Jamaica Plain, she was the primary challenger. She got enough votes to get on the ballot, and then a couple years, a couple couple years, couple of weeks later, had dropped out. She's using this opportunity to make the government in Beacon Hill that she she bring the government to Beacon Hill that she wants, right? She wants to bring the government. She she's trying to bring the government to Beacon Hill that she wants. What she wants is she wants Andrea Campbell as attorney general, right? She feels like she's, uh, Andrea Campbell should be her attorney general. She also wants uh, Chris Markey in the state house, and she wants Bill Strauss in the state house, and a few other people in the state house as well. She's she's taken the time to come down and make those endorsements, and I think that's a, I think that's a really big deal. I think that says a lot about Markey and Strauss as candidates that she would come down and weigh, uh, make make those ki- make make those kinds of uh, make those judgment calls. 508-996-0500. Good evening. Thanks for holding. Oh, hey, Marcus. How are you tonight? Good. How you doing? All right. Yeah, you know, in this state here, Democrats are doing a tremendous job. Yeah. yeah. They have been. Uh, you know, we got a surplus of, what, what's the surplus in this, this state? A billion dollars or more? Yeah, three, three. Uh, so I think it's, well, actually, I think the surplus is close to six billion. Oh, wow. It, yeah. I, I knew it was in the billions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I knew you'd know. Yeah. yeah, isn't there isn't there a provision in the Massachusetts Charter that if they have X amount of money, they can give it back to the taxpayer? Yeah, so if it's 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 revenues increase at a higher rate uh, rate of wages wages. It's a 1986 law that was passed in a referendum, um, oh, right. and uh, that said that if this if that numbers. Uh, if the if tax if tax revenues uh, raise at the higher uh, at the uh, at a rate higher than than wages do that difference which they estimate is about three billion dollars gets returned to the people of the Commonwealth. Uh, I saw an ad by Anthony Amori today, who's a candidate for state auditor, who said the government owes you two hundred and fifty dollars. I think that's what they estimate is going to come back. I, I don't know, but about three billion dollars they expect is going to come back to the taxpayers. Now this is contingent on the current state auditor Suzanne Bump certifying a number on September 20th that that shows that figure right that that uh, that uh, tax revenues have uh, exceeded the rate of um, of of uh, uh, wages so uh, if if that number is certified by auditor Bump uh, on or before September 20th then that money does uh, have to by law get returned that's what I thought um I wasn't sure because the governor has to sign off that unless it goes back, right? Um, I don't know if the governor has to sign off. I think the law just says the auditor has to, the auditor has to approve that number. I don't know if the governor has to sign off on it, but I think Charlie Baker uh, would sign off on it because he's the one that kind of made everybody aware, which is really bizarre. That like you know, I can get maybe you know some some reps didn't know about it, right? It's not you know you, you don't necessarily even if you're a rep know every law that's on the books, but you'd think like Speaker Mariano or President. And Spilko would know, um, but uh, he made them aware that 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 law was going to kick in, and that's what killed the tax relief uh, bill that was going to return some checks to people. So they they had to figure out, okay, well, what's going to, how are we going to be able to get this done? So I think what they're hoping for, and I think Charlie Baker's actually explicitly said this, that checks will go out around I think November December uh, to people, and that will be the re- the refunded revenues. Now, do some people are holding the positions that they can actually do the tax relief that they were going to do and return those revenues. Um, and I think they're, that's what they're going to try to work on the next legislative session, which is in January. 
Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, that, that sounds... I know it sounds like a little pittance of money, but, you know, at least it's something. Every bit counts, especially today. <laughs> you know? Thanks, Marcus. Absolutely. Thanks for the call. 508-996-0500. Yeah, I mean, that's $250 isn't nothing, right? Uh, you know, especially, uh, you know, every bit counts. Every, every, um, every dollar does count. And I think, uh, you know, we've talked to all three of those auditor candidates. You've talked, uh, you know, I had Chris Dempsey on, was it this Monday? The days just, the days just blend together. <laughs> when you hear every day, it all just blends together. By the way, actually, speaking of that, I'll be on the round table tomorrow uh, from 11 to noon with uh, Jess, with Jess Machado. She's filling in for Tim. Tim is taking a much-deserved, uh, long-overdue vacation to... Michigan, I think, to a paranormal uh, convention, uh, I think. But, um, but, uh, and I'm really happy that he's taking a vacation. He needs to, he needs to take a vacation. Uh, he works too hard. Um, but uh, Jess is going to be in here for, in for Tim tomorrow. And so I'll be doing the roundtable with Jess. I don't know if anybody else is. Uh, she sent out an email uh, the other day asking uh, a few of us. And I, I said yes. I don't know if anybody else said yes. I kind of, I lose, you know. All those emails get lost in the shuffle, but um, I'll be in here tomorrow from 11 to noon. Uh, speaking of, speaking of, I don't even know how I got into that, but that'll be fun. But now I'm here with you. So, oh, yeah. So we're talking about um, the uh, chapter 62F, the 1986 law that was done by uh, referendum. Uh, I, I don't forget the woman's name. Chris knows her. McCarthy knows her well. He'll, he can tell you tomorrow. He was friends with her, apparently. Uh, but she had, she had organized, um, was it citizens, uh, for fair taxation or something? She had organized the ballot referendum for this, for this law. I think the last time it was triggered was immediately after in 1987 was the last time it was triggered and tax, uh, tax revenue got, uh, got refunded to the people of, of, uh, the taxpayers of the Commonwealth. So I talked to audit, um, I talked to, well, I didn't talk to Auditor Bump, but I talked to the people running for her office. I talked to Chris Dempsey on Monday, and he's the candidate. He's one of the candidates for auditor. Um, he had said that, uh, you know, I asked him, in your opinion, basically, should that money be returned? And he said, it's not a matter of opinion. Well, you know, it's not a matter of facts or, or it's not a matter of opinion. It's a matter of can my team, you know, can we do the calculation or can't Auditor Bump's team uh, do they do that? Uh, can they do that calculation? When they do the calculation uh, of the revenue and the and the rates, what the number is, and if that and he said I, we expect that that number is going to be what uh, a number in which would trigger that three billion three billion dollars of that surplus be returned to taxpayers um, in the Commonwealth. Uh, you know, I, I didn't think that it, it, you know. Despite the fact that Beacon Hill was <clears throat> caught flat-footed on that, it didn't seem like it didn't seem like Speaker Mariano uh, had any appetite to repeal it. Uh, he said, "Well, that's the law, right?" He just basically said, "That's the law. That's what should happen." Um, so now the legislative session is over. So that happens every two years. Uh, the legislative session ends in uh, ends ends of July, and then resumes in i think it's every two years it might be every year but it's definitely every two years uh you know it's basically so the reps can reps can campaign but 
Uh, there's been some people calling for the session to resume. Uh, Rep. Tammy Gavea, you just heard, said that she wanted the session to resume. Rep. Rep. Desagli, uh, no, Senator Desaglio said that uh, just a few days ago, and she was on as well. She's a candidate for auditor, um, and the auditor's role is really important in this. Um, it's kind of funny. I think Suzanne Bump, and you know, she's been auditor for 12 years. I think her her name's been mentioned more in the last few weeks than than in the last 12 years. Because uh, the auditor's office isn't something that a lot of people really even think of, but now it's super important. Now they're going to certify a figure, and I wonder going forward. I wonder going forward how it's you know now that people have a public awareness of this law. I wonder go- going forward if this is going to be a thing that we just like are waiting for, like a thing that we anticipate. You know, Anthony Amori had said that per state law, twenty four. If they don't, if the auditor doesn't certify the number by September 20th, 24 taxpayers can file a petition with the Supreme Judicial Court to compel the auditor to file that number. And he said he was prepared to do it. Um, I wonder if that's going to be a thing people watch out for now. I wonder if it's going to be a thing people expect uh, if they say, okay, well, this is going to happen. It seems like. You know, the last time it happened was 30 years ago, right? 35 years ago was the last time that this law was triggered, basically the year after it was passed via referendum. So they must have anticipated that this was ha- this must have been happening and they must have anticipated it uh, when they did that ballot referendum. Of course, I think that's a very popular thing uh, to put on a ballot referendum. Do you want money, right? Do you want money? Yes or no? And people are obviously going to say, yes, I would like I would like money. Please give me money. Um, so anyway, 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the program. Yeah, I mean, Democrats, you know, as the caller said, Democrats have done really well here. I think they'll continue to do well. They did, you know, they, I've heard there are some Senate seats that might be vulnerable in Beacon Hill. I don't know, um, like... Uh, I heard Senator Roush and Needham, uh, her seat's, her seat's uh, very vulnerable. But uh, they also lost a lot of seats. They lost the state rep seat uh, when um, people, had, when Repu- long-tenured Republicans had left their seats. They had lost some rep seats and, and Senate seats. So I think they'll continue to do well. So 508-996-0500 is how you can get in the program. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. This is South Coast Night with Marcus. Chris uh, will be back tomorrow. Listen to us live. Anyway. Welcome back to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. Chris will be back tomorrow. And tomorrow, tomorrow we have the sh- we. Is this mic on? Yep, there we go. Tomorrow we have Sheriff Tom Hodgson. He'll be joining. Uh, he'll be joining us, and he'll be talking. You know, he'll be giving his reaction. He obviously listened to the um, the Democratic debate for uh, the Democratic debate um, for in the primary. Uh, you know, to see uh, which one of those, which one of those uh, candidates is going to obviously face Hodgson in the fall, and so uh, you know he was listening. I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to hearing his uh, feedback on that, what he thinks of his prospective opponents, uh, and maybe weigh in a little bit of the uh, drama that's going on in that race. And of course, he'll be taking your calls at five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. You know, we did the uh, internet exclusive uh, episode last week. We're not doing it this week. We are we are live everywhere. We are we are on the app. We are on. 
your computer. We are on your car radio. We are on your house radio, your boombox, wherever else there's radios. We are everywhere. Every medium that you can think of, you're just going to hear Chris and Marcus. We're taking over. So you're definitely going to want to hear that. You're definitely going to want to call in and and talk to Sheriff Hodge. And whether you agree with him or not, um, uh, he will engage uh, with you. And I will uh, today at 508 996 So as you know, reading a bit about, uh, I was reading a bit about the 62F law. Um, and the budget surplus, I think, so I said 6 billion, I think it's actually five. Does it act, does it really matter? It's 5 billion, right? So I said six, um, when the caller asked, but it's actually, it's actually five. So, uh, and it looks like, you know, the, it was passed by citizens for limited taxation, uh, the, the ballot question. And then it was, you know, basically codified into that law after it was passed in a ballot question, 62F. And so it's an annual state tax revenue growth limit based on the level of growth in total wages and salaries in Massachusetts uh, versus the total revenue. And if it collects more than the allowed, allowed amount of tax revenue in any one fiscal year, the law says the coverage, the overage must be returned to the taxpayers. That's basically what it says. So um, it's it's going, it looks like it can eat up some of the $5 billion, surplus, $5 billion surplus. I mean, a lot of that goes into the state's rainy day fund. I know they've been finding other creative ways to, to, um, <clears throat> to, uh, They've been finding other creative ways to deal with that surplus. You know, you've had uh, the ARPA money. They've had their own. Um, they've supplemented the ARPA money with. They've supplemented the ARPA money that came in from the Biden administration with uh, some of the surplus money. There's infrastructure bills. There's climate bills. There's a lot that's being reinvested. Uh, reinvested. There's a student opportunity act. There's a lot that's being. A lot of that surplus is being reinvested. But you know, of course. Uh, the taxpayers uh, now see an opportunity and uh, now see an opportunity to to um, just get uh, I guess a stimulus check right um, that's basically what it amounts to is like a, a, a stimulus check um, there was one planned by the state legislature that was about $250. And again, uh, you know, Rep Gavea gave her her perspective on that. She felt like the people that were uh, sub uh, 38,000 um, were getting a, a raw deal uh, and it was capped at people who were making 100,000 or I think 250,000 filed uh, jointly. And if you're filing jointly, I think you get five, uh, $500, uh, obviously. Too. So basically 250 per um, per tax paying, uh, per, per adult, per tax paying adult, you got to file. And it's based on a, I think a 20, uh, 2021, you have to have filed a 2021 tax return, but that didn't get passed because of the revelation of the 1986 law. A lot of people did feel like, um, a lot of people did feel like there should have been more relief. There was more relief planned in that bill. Uh, there was, um, you know, there was uh, relief for seniors, the cert, you know, an extension of the circuit breaker tax credit, uh, I think other relief in, in different areas and ended up Charlie Baker had proposed, I think, a $700 million tax relief package and the Stainhouse's tax relief package, I believe, with everything included, exceeded $1 billion. Um, but in that crazy 
you know, 31 hour uh, or whatever, no, not 31 hour, 23 hour session on July 31st uh, where they extended the, you know, basically the, they, they, they changed, they, the legislature showed up on, you know, they showed up on July 31st and were there till, uh, you know, in the early morning afternoon and were there till the early morning. I think 10 a.m. is when the legislative session ended uh, on Beacon Hill. Uh, they got a lot done, you know, they got sports gambling done, uh, among other things. But what they didn't get done was the tax relief package. Now, there's reporting now that the, you know, Mass Fiscal Alliance, uh, which is one of the major conservative organizations in Massachusetts, uh, Citizens for Limited Taxation, uh, they're starting to lawyer up because I think in anticipation, the in, in uh, anticipation of the um, of the uh, maybe they think Auditor Bump isn't going to certify it. Uh, there was one time where this excess revenue cap was hit. It was in 1987. About $30 million in tax credits was made available to the people through the addition, um, through the addition of a line in the in their income tax return. Uh, so that was the last time. That was 35 years ago. Um, they said, "Hmm." They began the office. They were actually this spring, the Department of Revenue, DOR, which is our basically localized version of the IRS. Uh, the DOR had said they had, they, they had began the process of repealing the regulation that governs how a taxpayer obtains a credit towards personal income under 62F because they said it was obsolete because no credit had been required since 19, <clears throat> 1987. So they had added the line on the state uh, income tax would uh, return, which a lot of people probably didn't notice. And actually, DOR was beginning to say, uh, well, we're, we're actually working in the spring. We're actually getting rid of this because it hasn't been used in 35 years. And the last time it was used, yeah, $29 million was returned to the taxpayers. The Executive Office of Administration and Finance, they said uh, the regulation hadn't been officially rescinded. Um, and they said the DOR will issue guidance or regulations on this year's implementation if it's triggered. I think everybody uh, everybody is expecting it to be triggered again. the The law requirement is because there's going to be. I think you know Anthony Amori was was here with us in studio and he was talking about how he was going to file that petition. Um, but I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to do it. So and it's it, it's a. 20, uh, it's basically 24 quote unquote taxable inhabitants. Uh, taxable inhabitants is what the law says. 24 taxable inhabitants uh, can petition the Supreme Judicial Court or Superior Court, I think, to um, <clears throat> to uh, to petition the auditor. And it says, um, you know, basically to petition the auditor to certify uh, to certify the number. And I wonder, you know, that when we talked to Dempsey, um, one of the auditor candidates, he said, it's it's a matter of uh, dollars and cents. If we can get the figure, if we can certify the figure, if we can certify a number and that number says this, then that's what's going to happen. But is it possible that political pressure, now that people have been made aware of it, you know, 
I mean, I mean, obviously people forget 35 years, you know, that was 35 years ago. And even our highest ranking state lawmakers who weren't necessarily in office in 1980, some of them were, some of them were, uh, but, you know, were in office in the early 90s at the very least. Um, you know, they forgot because it hasn't been used in 35 years or maybe they didn't think it was going to be applicable here. Um but I wonder now if it's going to be in the conscious, in the consciousness of people, if they're going to maybe start to expect if, if this happens, if that revenue does get returned, are people going to start expecting um, the uh, part of the surplus to be returned via, you know, a tax credit or a refundable check? I saw Anthony Amori today post the state owes you thirty two hundred and fifty dollars. Um, so I wonder if this is going to be a thing uh, by and I wonder if this is something, you know, Republicans might try to use as a as a an effective issue um, campaigning, maybe not this year. But uh, going forward, all right, 508-996-0500 is how you can get on. I'm going to take a break. I'll be right back. New Bedford's News Talk Station. Marcus, 508-996-0500 is how you can get on. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. Hi, Marcus. I enjoyed this evening program. Keep it up. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now, I had two issues, but one could be uh, answered by your informative stance on things right okay. away. I hope so. Isn't the uh, city council supposed to vote upon this uh, proposal by the MBTA that uh, the city must fund any shortfall for the cost of having the train come to New Bedford? Yeah, I mean, pro- uh, probably, I mean, that what they did vote on in the last city council meeting was uh, to put the MBTA question of should New Bedford be an MBTA district on the ballot for this year's election on November 8th. Um, so I don't know, that would, I, I'm assuming that that, uh, if people were to vote in the affirmative, that would come with the MBTA district regulations, a set of laws and regulations surrounding MBTA districts that might require, uh, you know, that might might require the things that you're talking about covering the, the, the shortfalls in the pension fund and all of that. I am working on having uh, someone from uh, a transportation advocacy organization call in, and I believe it's going to be next week uh, to talk more about this because I know there's a lot of questions that people have. Did any of the counselors take a preliminary stance on uh, this referendum? They, they all, the, it was a unanimous vote to, um, to put that on the ballot. That doesn't necessarily mean that every counselor supports the, it, the ballot's passaging. They just all agreed that it should be on the ballot. My understanding is, I th- well, what I think is most counselors will be broadly supportive of the, uh, of, of, of New Bedford becoming an MBTA district. You heard Ian Aber was on earlier today talking about why he was supportive of it. Well, I heard uh, on the contrary view that a lot of people are upset that it might require increasing their taxes mm. to pay for any shortfalls and might create some sort of housing affordability problem also. And and um, one guy, Norm, on that Friday roundtable on uh, Tim's show, he said that there's only a hundred people that commute to Boston for work in New Bedford, but I we mean, have a hundred thousand people in this city. Um, why should we have to pay taxes, uh, to make it easier for a hundred people to have a better commute? 
Well, listen, I'm not necessarily, I'm not really privy to what Norm knows about uh, how many commuters are in New Bedford. I don't know where that figure yeah, neither have I. What, comes, what, comes what, from. What's his uh, credentials as a member of that uh, kitchen cabinet? Oh, the kitchen cabinet. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, that's the Norm I'm referring to. Oh, so okay. he said it over the air, and none, none of the cabinet members disputed the figure of 100 uh, commuters. Uh, what's Norm's uh, pedigree? I'm not sure. I, I know you're talking. I heard a little bit of that kitchen cabinet at the end. I didn't hear what Norm said, uh, and I'm not entirely sure of All Norm's right, credentials. I'll be following it. I'll be following Thank it for sure. Not, well, again, when do you expect to have any uh, information uh, on it? Will uh, I'm hoping on Ian Abreu be giving his point of view on yeah, it? Yeah, he or? was on. I mean, he was on. He was on earlier today. He'll be on next week. He's on with Tim every week. But I'm yeah. going to. I'm working on getting someone from a transportation advocacy uh, group yeah. to come in it's and a, talk about it's it. It's a very serious situation. I totally agree. From all sides. Now, uh, I just had a suggestion to run through you. Sure. Uh, I have been channel surfing to different radio stations, uh, including right-wing ones. Okay. And they're very upset over, you know, the student loan uh, oh, yeah. forgiveness stuff. Uh, and they put up various reasons for it. Sure. Uh, one of the major ones... Um, is that some people have already paid okay. their loans for college educations, and um, it's unfair that newbies should get it for free. But I'm running this by you. Supposing that people who already pay paid for their uh, loans, um, supposing they get a tax break for it, like uh, whatever their that. taxes is uh, until they're reimbursed, 10% off every year. And uh, what about also if they did community service uh, to work off uh, this forgiveness loan too? Maybe that would satisfy some of the people who think it's unfair that newbies should get such a break when uh, people previously paid in full or mostly. What yeah, do you think? I mean, here's the Community thing. Community service and a tax break. Yeah, there's there's like over a trillion dollars in student debt. I don't know if there's probably a lot of people that are uh, dealing with the student their student loans that are working full time anyway. I don't necessarily think community service is going to satisfy the people that are against the law. I think the people that are against the law are probably going to be against it anyway. As far as like, okay, if you paid off your loans, that's great, good for you. I'm glad you've been able to do that and probably move on and have should, a nice a nice career. A, a tax break. I would be. I mean, that's the thing is, I would be okay with that. Like yeah. that sounds good to me. I mean, but is there any other alternatives that you have run into uh, to soothe these upset people who think it's well, unfair? Well, it's 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 more. What I think my primary concern with this is. You know, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people that are really being crushed by the weight of their student debt. And how can we make life easier for them? Not necessarily. How do we make people who are angry about this feel better? I, I think the more important question is how can we how can we alleviate the crisis of of crushing student debt by predatory lenders? Well, one more comment, if you'll permit. Sure. I am a former. Uh, college professor, okay. so I pay attention in what's going on. Uh, to me, I can't understand how Rhode Island and Maine can offer free community college, and they're less wealthy states than we are in Massachusetts, and uh, we can't get at least that benefit uh, in this crisis of high tuitions. The, there has been a study that indicates uh, within the next half dozen years, there'll be a 70% shortage 
of college graduates needed to man bureaucratic posts in uh, corporations and in the government uh, that provide competent service uh, to us all. So that's uh, something that we can't afford to let happen. We need college graduates uh, because even if they major in liberal arts, uh, they can become bureaucrats that can do their job better sir, because they're trained to think in a disciplined fashion that's sir, flexible. Sir, sir, I completely agree with you. I think we should have that. i got to hold you there because i got to take this break, but thank you for the call. I really appreciate All right, it. keep up the show. Thank you. 